gridiron, huh? All right. Harrison lines up under center. Two rushing touchdowns already tonight. What can this kid not do? Wow, Pearson. Blue 42. Blue 42. Set hot hot. Ball is hiked. Pearson drops back. He looks left. Pearson's about ready to release. He cocks back. Boom! He's down, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, Pearson's down and he's not getting up. Will he get up? He will. Ladies and gentlemen, he will. He'll get up. Kevin Pearson will walk again just in time to bury his beloved father. That'll keep him down for good this time, right? Nope, he's, he's up again. He's up again and he's... He's marrying a terrific girl. He's off to Hollywood, and it's a it's a happy ending for Kevin Pearson. Oh, whoa, wait, nope, hold on now. He cheats on the girl. Yes, that's right, he loses her. And how's he punished? Well, he, he gets a sitcom and he makes millions, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, crowd goes wild. He gets the girl back. Now he's got the girl back, and, and it's a movie this time. And then, pop, oh! There it goes, the same knee. Bam, he's down again. And he tries so hard to be strong, and he needs painkillers to get through it. And even when he tries to tell people how pathetic he is, it, they just, they don't hear it. They just cheer. All right, well, good morning, everyone, and well, welcome to Liquid. I'm uh, Pastor Tim. And glad you're here for Fourth of July weekend, uh, Independence Day. We're going to talk a little bit about freedom today, but we got to give a big old welcome to all six of our campuses joining us today around New Jersey. Glad you guys are here, Essex, Middlesex, Union, Somerset counties. This is week four in this series. What we're doing is we're watching this show, This Is Us, and looking at the main family they're called the Pearson family. And what we're doing is connecting it to real life issues in our families and asking God to really speak His truth into them. And uh, today. I want to share a message with you, uh, appropriately titled, as we're talking about, you know, freedom, we're celebrating our country's freedom this week. I'm going to call this one Overcoming Addiction, when you're not free, right? If you're a fan of the show, you know that addictions, as you saw in that clip, kind of feature prominently in the Pearson family dynamics. Uh, as you just saw Kevin, one of the main characters, this kid, he grew up with all the advantages, right? He's athletic, he's good looking, he becomes this, you know, famous Hollywood actor, but in his 30s, his life kind of goes on the downward spiral into addiction to painkillers first and then eventually alcohol. And it's surprising because Kevin is kind of, you know, outwardly successful guy, but he struggles with a lot of internal pain, right? He has grief from losing his dad at a very young age. Uh, he has pain from divorce and his marriage ending uh, early. And Kevin kind of wonders, you know, will he ever get clean and sober and will his life get back on track? His family kind of has this, this generational addiction. His father, uh, Jack, was addicted to alcohol. His grandfather was an addict. And now Kevin uh, struggles. And so you see this weakness being passed down from generation to generation. And we said, you know what? This is real life. This is us. We can all probably think of somebody that we love. It might be a family member. It might be a father, mother, a brother, a sister, a relative who struggles with an addiction or an area of weakness. Could be, could be alcohol, could be drugs. Maybe it's a more socially acceptable one, like food. Uh, that's what Kate struggles with. Kevin's sister has a food addiction. 
And one of the fascinating storylines that shows how she not only struggles to really lose the weight, but she kind of self-medicates her pain by opening the refrigerator. Uh, in real life, in fact, the actress who plays Kate struggles in real life. And to me, it's pretty amazing how openly and honestly This Is Us address you, addresses these uh, issues that really affect all of us, right? See, I'll let you in on a secret. You're sitting next to people in this church at your campus who struggle. Uh, struggle with weaknesses. We struggle with temptations. And, and many of us have somebody that we love. Maybe it's a family member who is actually battling an addiction, at least that's what you told me in our live poll this week. Um, last Sunday, I asked the question. I said, uh, do you have a loved one who has suffered from an addiction? And this is a good snapshot of our congregation. We took a, a poll in our mobile app on the phone there. And 67% uh, of you said, yes, you know what? Yes, somebody I love in my immediate family um, has struggled with an addiction and it has impacted our relationship. So I want you to think about that in your row two out of every three people would say yes uh, the temptations and weaknesses impacted our family what kind of issues are we talking about that's what i asked i said what addiction specifically have you or loved ones face and again good kind of cross-section of our entire church here uh alcohol ranked top at 35 percent so about a third of you to say you know what uh drinking to excess that has impacted you know someone in my family who i love Drugs is 27%, and that's actually amazing because that's on the rise across the nation. Our nation right now is kind of in the throes of an opioid epidemic. This number used to be single digits. It was about 9 or 10%. Now it's over 25%. So one in four people are impacted by drug use and addiction. There's a reason for that. Uh, heroin and opioids have made huge inroads now. It's not just like an inner city problem. It's gone out to the suburbs and even rural communities. Uh, so you're seeing that that's a national trend. Uh, pornography, about 12%. Uh, porn use, not surprising, has really skyrocketed in recent years with the explosion of online digital content. Porn is not only readily accessible, it is highly addictive. The average age of first exposure to pornography is now at the age of 8 to 11 years old. Okay, that's just kind of, these are the times we live in, right? Accessibility. Uh, another 5% said gambling uh, was the main addiction in their family. Hey, good news, it's legal in New Jersey, so that will solve it, right? I think uh, not. <laughs> uh, food addiction, I guess, on the rise, 12% um, would admit. They say, you know, I no longer eat for nutrition or sustenance. It's become a source of emotional comfort or kind of numbing ourselves. Another 8% said, you know what, it's not listed here. It's another kind of addiction that I struggle with this temptation or impacts my family. And less than 1% said, you know, all of the above. But again, this is us, okay? Just super honest. And I am so grateful. Can I thank you uh, as your pastor for your honesty? Um, at Liquid, our philosophy is we really believe like the church should be the safest place on the planet to be honest about our weaknesses and actually seek hope and healing from God. Because the Bible says where we are weak, Christ is strong, amen? With him, anything is possible. And it is, it is definitely possible to overcome addiction by the power of God. You can experience God's healing and wholeness in your life, and you're going to hear from someone in a little bit who has. So this message, I just want to get to it. It's not meant to make you feel guilty. You're not here to feel bad or ashamed for things that have gone on in your family. Today, I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to encourage you and those you love. So we want to open the Bible. We're going to look to what God has to say about these temptations that we all face. And so if you want to open the mobile app, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul 
to a bunch of Christians who are living in the Greek city of Corinth. And if you're struggling today, maybe in some area, I, I feel like this is going to be a vitamin C shot for your soul, okay? It's gonna, I think you're going to be encouraged to see how God wants to give you and those you love his supernatural strength in areas of weakness, because we all have them. Paul writes this in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is, what's the word here, church? Common to mankind. But God is what? Faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, notice it's when, not if. When you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. If you're taking notes today, we have some fill-in-the-blank notes on the, on the mobile app. And the first thing that God's Word tells us is that temptation is common for everybody. Right? Paul's addressing the whole church and he says, hey, no temptation has overcome, uh, overcome you except what's common to mankind. Now that word mankind, it's a broad term. It just means everybody. All y'all. Okay? All of humanity. Doesn't matter your age, your gender, your educational level. Uh, every man, woman, child, teenager, college student. Everybody in this room has a weakness, including me, your pastor. Can you all gasp a minute? <gasps> Not you. Yeah. Well, for me, my particular temptation tends to flare up in the spring. It's around March or April when my doorbell rings and I open it and there are three Girl Scouts selling boxes of crack for uh, $4.50. Anybody else have an addiction to Girl Scout cookies, okay? All right, for me, Samoas are my kryptonite, okay? You know what I'm talking about here? I'm like, we got to, come on, come on. We just got to go there, all right? We're talking about temptation. There is something about Samoas. It is like the perfect combination of caramel and chocolate and motor oil and whatever, <laughs> whatever else. Anybody want to try it here? JP, right there. J come on. Who else? Who else? Right there, logo. You got three of them because they melted in the heat. Get ready to catch this, okay? <laughs> See if you can. Oh, thank you. You saved. We're in the back. Someone give me, give me. Oh, in the back, right there. Okay. Whole row's coming, bro. Oh, hold on. Come up here, little man. Come here. Your parents are going to thank me. <laughs> You're welcome, Mom. <laughs> Kids going to be like, buzzing all over the place. Uh, this is my kryptonite, okay? Here's what, here, let me just be honest with you. Now, every spring, what happens is my doorbell rings, and I open it up, and there are three little drug dealers, I mean Girl Scouts, and, uh, and like, here are your Samoas, Mr. Lucas. And, and I look both ways and I take the box and I actually hide them downstairs in a cabinet where I know my kids won't find them. And it was fun. It's true. I'm, I told you I struggle. All right. So it's kind of funny because I remember my dad used to do this. I actually remember my dad had a sweet tooth and he would get these like Entenmann cookies. He'd hide them in the back of the freezer like behind where anyone would, would look for them. So understand, this is generational sin, okay? This is like, you can pray for me. Now, I realize it's a silly example, but we all have our weakness, don't we? I mean, what are, what are your Samoas, okay? Maybe it's food. Uh, for others, it's alcohol. You know, you, again, you don't have to have a, be a raging alcoholic. And maybe it's the second or third glass of wine that you kind of need to unwind at night, right? Uh, maybe it's some other vice, like smoking, some of you know how hard it is to quit. You make some progress and you fall back off the wagon. It could be a lustful temptation like online pornography. It's just like it's always there. It's one click away and oh, you don't, it doesn't, yeah, and then suddenly it's 20 minutes and 
Or maybe it's something more socially acceptable, um, like shopping, right? You know, shopping for sport, right? Those wedge heels are on sale, girlfriend. It would be a sin not to buy them, you know, kind of thing. Uh, temptation, Paul says, it's common to all of us. Now, these are the usual suspects, right? Uh, the, the, what caught my attention was a recent survey about the top temptations that Americans admit to facing. According to this study, Americans said they struggle just as much with internal ones. Top of the list, anxiety. 60% of Americans would say chronic worrying is a major temptation every day. Uh, procrastination, you know, kind of delaying, you know, responsibilities, putting them off. Uh, spending too much time on social media, 44% said it's their number one temptation, right? Like we, we are, right, you go to bed with your phone, I'm just setting the alarm, just checking the last email, you wake up, what's the first thing you grab? Right, your phone, right? You just kind of like, we have that. And it increase, increases jealousy and these feelings of envy. This to me is revealing, because whenever you hear the word temptation, most people think of the cookies, right? The external action, uh, sex and drugs, whatever, smoking, whatever. But this survey says, you know, you know, it's actually a lot of internal attitudes that people wrestle with. They have worry, they have anxiety, they have comparison. The reality is, if you're living, human, breathing, you are on this list somewhere, right? That's why the Bible's so realistic. It says, hey, no temptation has overtaken you except what's what? Common to mankind. So if you struggle with a habit that you know is destructive, that is slowly mastering you, what I mean by that is keeping you from the life of freedom that God created you to enjoy, how do you overcome this? And the answer is, you can't. <laughs> but who can? Let's read the word together. But God is, what's the word, church? Faithful. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he's going to provide a way out so that you can endure it. Again, notice the Bible does not say, if you are tempted, it says, but when you are tempted. In other words, temptation is not this kind of if-then situation. It is a when-then reality. And, and this is where a lot of you are like, oh, I know what he's going to say next. Uh, because most preachers would say something like this. Now, guys, be a good Christian and stop doing this stuff. I'm not going to tell you that. First off, uh, becoming a Christian is not a self-improvement plan. It's not about like sin management. Hey, try to do less destructive things now so that you can make God happy. See, the gospel is this. When you're saved, you're not saved out of willpower. You're not saved out of good intentions. You're not saved because God's like, you know what? They do a pretty, he does a pretty good job. I'm going to save him. You are saved by God's grace. Grace is God's radical, unconditional love and forgiveness for you before you ever clean up your act. No strings attached. You don't deserve grace. We can't earn grace. God just says, it's my heart as your father. I'm generous. Nobody's too far, has sinned too far beyond my ability to forgive them. And so you are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus' work on the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was personal. He died in your place for your sins. Watch, past, present, and even future, okay? But what I notice is this. A lot of people who become Christians assume that they're going to wake up the next day and all those temptations, they're like magically gone. Would you look at that? I, I became a Christian. I, I, I gave my life to Christ and I am temptation free. Pfft. Let me tell you something. No, all temptation, all temptation. Some, sometimes God will do a miraculous work of deliverance. I've seen it and you're going to hear about one. But most often, here's what I found. 
That process of dying to our sin and learning to walk by the Holy Spirit is a much longer process. Theologians actually have a fancy term for it. Here it is, ready? The word is sanctification. Can you say that with me? Sanctification. It's actually where you get the word saint. Do you see it in there, the word saint? Okay. It's the process by which we become increasingly holy. In other words, as we walk with God, we become more and more conformed to the character of Jesus Christ, our Savior in daily life. You start looking like Jesus. So watch this. Let me be clear about this. Salvation is instantaneous. You can be saved in a second when you repent and you believe. But sanctification takes a lifetime. It's a process, not a one-time event. So if you've become a Christ follower, I want to welcome you to the family of God. But understand, this is the starting point. In fact, your marching orders from here on out is not, now clean up your act and be a good Christian. In fact, I would just encourage you, give up your act and say, hey, I can't do this on my own because I'm going to let you in on the secret of the Christian life. Victory always begins with surrender. Surrender to Christ. Victory begins with surrender to Jesus when you actually admit there is no way I can be like him. I am not strong enough to resist in my flesh. But Jesus, I'm going to invite you to live through me. I'm going to ask you to give me a new power called the Holy Spirit. So when I have these anxious thoughts, I know your Holy Spirit can give me a peace that passes understanding. Moment to moment, I need to be filled up. I I have all these dark desires, but Christ is transforming my mind, and and I'm taking captive every thought along with Jesus to make it obedient to him. I, I can't conquer my addiction, but God has the power to break the chains and set me free. Amen? See, as a Christ follower, the Bible says temptation is guaranteed, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In fact, did you know? Jesus himself was tempted by everything on these lists. (laughs) Hebrews 4.15 says this. This is so powerful, okay? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. It's not like Jesus can't relate. But we have one who has been what? Say it together. Tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's a pretty incredible verse when you think about it, right? Like if you take God's word literally, which we do at Liquid, we have a high view of scripture. You know what that means? It means Jesus, your savior, was literally tempted with every single thing on this list. He was tempted with food. Tell these stones to turn into bread. He was tempted with alcohol. Oh, I see, he's a friend of drunkards and gluttons. He was tempted with, 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 he was tempted with sex. Jesus was single for 33 years of his life and maintained sexual integrity when everybody at his age was getting married at age 14. And somehow, he still drew his life from the Father and was fulfilled as a single person for 33 years. Uh, Jesus had worry. (laughs) In the garden, we see him praying, and he's so stressed that actually blood comes into his sweat because he is so full of anxiety about the suffering he's going to undergo. The only thing that Jesus probably didn't struggle with is Instagram. (laughs) Right? He doesn't waste as much time as you fools. But if you're, <laughs> if you're a Christ follower, you know what I'm telling you? You serve a Savior who knows what it's like to be tempted, to struggle, to experience human frailty. Jesus was divine power wrapped in human weakness. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin because he drew his life from the Father in heaven. Point number two, if you're taking notes, the Bible teaches us that temptation 
is not a sin. Did you know that? Being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted, yet he did not sin. So as a Christian, understand, you have his power to overcome temptation. Now, you may be asking, like, well, then where does temptation come from? It's a great question. Here's how you handle the Bible. If the Bible brings up a question in your mind, you don't Google the answer, okay? You look in the rest of the Bible for the answer, because the Bible raises a question that the Bible answers. And if you turn to the book of James, you discover the source. Where does temptation come from? James writes this. He says, when tempted, nobody should say, God's tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But watch this. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and what? Enticed. You know what enticed means? Enticed means alluring, appetizing. This is drawing me. Temptation takes something that is highly destructive to your body or to your soul, puts it in a nice little box and says, here you go, Mr. Lucas. Feeling lonely? (laughs) Uh, Stressed? Just one bite and it all goes away. And if you're like, okay, one bite, guess what? You get dragged away. Think of it this way. Addiction, we often say, is like getting hooked. You guys ever see one of these? That is a fish hook. It is not for smallmouth bass, okay? This is a real hook. This actually is a shark hook, okay? This is for sharking. Uh, My son Dell and I, we love to fish together. And for his 13th birthday, my brother Ted uh, flew us down to the Florida Keys to go shark fishing, okay? Here we are. We took him like on his little man initiation, my brother and I, shark fishing. And uh, we were actually, we we were fishing for tarpon, which are very hard to catch fish. And so we were getting a little bit skunked. And so the captain said, there's this old guy, and he goes, he goes, you guys want some action? We're like, what do you think? He's like, all right, action. And he pulls out this cooler full of blood and fish guts. And he pours it over the boat, and boom, the next thing we know, the boat is circling with sharks. Watch this. All right, we're in the Florida Keys. Del Lucas is 13 years old. This is his birthday shark. He's bringing it in. Del, you're bringing this thing in? Look what's coming up, boys. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Come on. Come on, here we go. Dell's birthday shark right here. Let's see those teeth. Let's see them. Dude, look what you got, Dell. Yeah, bro, high five. You a man. <laughs> Good times, right? And by the way, it's catch and release, okay? So don't email me about it. No sharks were hurt in the filming of the video. Okay, you got it, all right. Uh, within five minutes, these are black tip sharks, right? Because you can see the, there's, there's black tips on their fins. Let me tell you, catching a shark is fun because they are so stupid. Sh- I'm serious. Sharks are predators, but they're not smart creatures. A shark is basically a stomach, a set of teeth, and an appetite, okay? And watch, so are many humans. This is how the enemy works. It, it basically, it sets the hook with something it knows that you have a weakness for it. Now, let me, I got to do this very carefully here, okay? I'm going to bait the hook. Oh, now we're talking. Where's that little kid? Come here. Come here. (laughs) Okay. All right. Bates the hook. Basically, your enemy, the devil, he takes something that you know is not nutritious. I mean, we all know this is fake food. There's no nutritional value and says, hey, take a bite of this. You know, just one bite and what? There goes the whole box, right? You are hooked. You'd think like sharks would wise up at some point. Like they'd watch their friends who bite the hook and suddenly they fly off into space like, hey, there goes Charlie. And they don't come back, right? But they don't. Sharks swim in schools, but they never learn. Addictions are like taking the bait and getting hooked by sin. And understand, the bait could be healthy things. Could be food, could be sex, 
could be wine. There's nothing wrong in and of themselves enjoyed in the right context. They're actually gifts from God. But it's when we turn them into idols and we use them to escape or we use them to numb out or to, to feel better and all of a sudden we're hooked. We're hooked. And you guys, some of you know how this feels. This is the worst part. It's just like when a fish takes the bait. Sin ends up not just destroying your body, but your soul. If you talk to somebody who's actually addicted to food, you realize they, they actually do not enjoy food. Most of the time, they feel guilty or ashamed uh, for binging, purging, overeating. If you talk to somebody who's addicted to sex or pornography, afterwards, they aren't like, man, I just feel so happy and fulfilled right now, right? Nobody says, man, I just feel so intimate now when close to my laptop. Nobody says it. <laughs> i just be honest. Right? You feel emptier than ever. Every act kills a little piece of your soul more than before. And that's how addiction works according to the Bible. Each, listen to God. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to what? To death. The hook gets set, we take the bait, and it leads to death. It literally takes the life out of you. And this is us. Um, Kate and Kevin, the brother and sister, are actually codependent. Here's what that means, fancy words. It just, Kevin is addicted to painkillers and alcohol, but his sister Kate feels responsible for him. Like, like his addiction is her fault. And because Kate then feels guilty all the time, what does she do? She overeats. She actually abuses food. And it's this, this cycle, and it's this source of guilt and shame for her until Kate meets Toby at a Weight Watchers meeting. Uh, Toby is her boyfriend who eventually becomes her fiance and, and Toby's like, hey Kate, I love you just as you are, all that and, and, and it gives her the confidence and Kate and Toby together commit to eat right from now on, we're gonna exercise but in this one scene, I'll never forget this, he discovers Kate has been hiding something from him. In secret, when no one was watching, Kate took the bait. Watch this. I cannot believe that I haven't talked to Kevin in over a month. We've never, ever gone this long without talking. Yeah, I know, babe. Disconnecting is kind of one of the key rules of rehab. Kev's in rehab. I let Kevin get sent to rehab. Technically, the judge at his DUI hearing let him get sent to rehab, but now is no time to be super literal, and I should know that. Sorry. Well, I hope that it's been good for him. I mean, not just getting clean, but all of it. I still can't believe that. I miss what was going on with him, though. We had a lot going on, too, you know. Yeah, we did. Okay. Right, so portion control and hummus and veggies for the pain ride. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna stay focused. Because when life takes us low, Kate and Toby, we go, hi. That's right. Crushing it in the face of tragedy. Because that's how could Toby roll. Oh, could Toby, I like it. Oh, hey, will you take out the trash before we go? Katobi, are we going with that? Because I could get behind Katobi. Hey, are you ready? Toby? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, come on, let's get this show on the road. What do you do when you discover someone you love has been hiding an addiction? I mean, it could be food, it could be, again, alcohol, it could be gambling, whatever. They've kept it secret, but now it comes spilling out into the open. I want to invite Pastor Karen Shannon up 
to visit with us on stage. She's our discipleship pastor. Can we give her a hand? So grateful for Karen. Pastor Karen also has her master's degree in counseling from Westminster Theological Seminary. And Karen, I was just hoping you could provide just maybe a little insight for those of us who are either struggling ourselves or maybe we have a loved one who is struggling with an addiction. When you look underneath the surface, what's really going on with this stuff? Yeah, I think when we hear the word addict or addiction, immediately we think needles, pills, bottles, stuff like that. But I love the way that you're talking about it, Tim. You're saying that we have a lot more in common than we think that we do. Ed Welsh, who is a clinical psychologist and a counselor, talks about addictions as a worship disorder. Remember, we are all created by God to worship him, but uh, Paul tells us in Romans 1 that often we get it mixed up and we start worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Um, so here's a grounding question for us all to think about. Um, will we worship our own desires and ourselves, or are we worshiping the one true God? And we don't think of our actions as worshiping, right? Um, some start, sometimes it starts with good things, as you're saying. We, uh, something hurts or we like the way we feel when uh, we do something, whether it's eating, uh, having a drink, uh, maybe watching porn, taking a painkiller. For some people, it's working too much, or it can even be going to the gym, something like that. So something positive, in other words, just starts to dominate our, our thing. I remember during the fast where so many of us were kind of like, we wanted to give up, you know, something for those 40 days, but we're like, but you can't take my Diet Coke. You know, like our, that one thing a day that I used to for, for strength, or I can't live without, you know, coffee or iced tea or whatever. Yeah, I think we heard that a lot. Um, but here's a way to think about it. There's a Pastor Randy Smith asks this series of questions, and uh, he asks them so that we can think about our own addictions and our own hearts. So I'm going to ask these, but I'll just ask you, don't think about somebody else, you know? Sometimes <laughs> we do that. We don't right. apply it to ourselves. Let it apply to our own hearts. He says, do you have an addiction? Is there anything you believe that you really need? Is there anything you could not imagine losing for a few weeks? Is there any behavior, habit, or unhealthy desire that you can't stop? Ask yourself those questions. Okay, if it's a no to those, we're gonna go to the next level questions. Go a little deeper. What or whom do you trust for comfort and protection, adventure and satisfaction, purpose and pleasure? Not all the things we can be addicted to are necessarily evil, but if God is not at the top of the food chain, you have an addiction, you're worshiping an idol. Now that's fascinating, because you're saying addiction is actually idolatry. Idolatry is simply looking to something or someone, anything but God, to draw our life from. So that's tricky because I think like we all have these things that we know, they're like innocent to start, right? Like we all talk about, you know, binge watching Netflix, you know, what's your show? You know, I watched the Yankees, although not last night. Uh, but, or you know, right, we have a glass of wine or a beer. How, how do we know that the thing we think we're consuming is now consuming us? Here's a great example. I think some of you remember Betty Ford, President Gerald Ford's wife. She started the Betty Ford Clinic. Mm -hmm. Well, Betty Ford says she didn't drink that much, so she never thought of herself as an alcoholic. Listen to the way she describes herself. She says, my makeup wasn't smeared. I wasn't disheveled. I behaved politely. I never finished off a whole bottle. How could I be an alcoholic? But what started to happen in her mind, she started to realize she was thinking about it a lot. She said, um, I knew I was an alcoholic because I was preoccupied whether alcohol was going to be served or not. Before she went to an event, she would ask that question. So when these things linger in our minds, that's a clue for us. You see, addiction is a disease that lives in the darkness. Mm. Starts out innocently enough, 
but then it starts to turn inward. We start to lie to ourselves, and then we start to lie to everybody around us. And it can happen even with things we find harmless, right? Let's, let's take something that we all find uh, pretty innocuous, right? Uh, craving for sweets. You have your Samoas, <laughs> right? I love ice cream. We start this bargaining kind of a thing, right? We say, oh, here's the Samoas here. If I have these now, I've been good all week. I've been working out all week. It won't <laughs> harm anything if I have a few here and there. The ice cream's there. Okay, um, I won't eat for the next two days. Right? We, we, we start like, <laughs> it's true, right? We start rationalizing with ourselves. Yeah. It's like a self-deception that starts to, that's yeah. what a substance abuser generally feels. Mostly it's more socially acceptable. Well, with the sweets it is. With the sweets, right? So that helps us, right? Not to judge those with addictions. We wanna feel compassion because we actually have a lot in common. So talk to those of us who have family members who have an addiction. Maybe there's people here who a loved one, um, they're really struggling, it's causing a lot of chaos in the family. It's like, how do you accept, accept them? We wanna embrace them, but also draw boundaries that help them. It is so hard, and I know this intimately. Um, both my dad and my husband, Bob, have struggled with alcohol in their lives, um, and I've walked with countless families whose uh, uh, their sons, their daughters, uh, families, friends have spiraled downwards in addiction, and it's heartbreaking. It's so hard to sit back and watch, and it usually ruins families. Like on This Is Us, Jack is a great dad, but in real life, um, that's not generally, it's not usually a happy home. Um, it's difficult to know how to love somebody with an issue. Um, addicts by nature, super intelligent, very clever, but also very manipulative. They know how to get what they want. Um, we don't ever want to give one size fits all for addictions because every circumstance is different. Um, we've heard stories of the prodigal, right? The yeah. son, daughter is out in the far country and the parents come to us and say, how I wish you knew my son before all of this happened. He was such a good kid. How I wish you knew my daughter. She used to serve, volunteered everywhere. But what happens is the addiction takes them over and it's actually the insanity of sin. They're no longer rational. That's an interesting way to talk about the insanity of sin. So, so, because I think we struggle. What's the right thing to do here? Maybe, maybe for some Christians, you've had that experience where somebody comes at you in your family and they're like, you know, you call yourself a Christian, but you, then why won't you give me, you know, pay my rent, you know, because I'm sleeping in my car now or I just need a little bit of money for this. What do you do in those moments? It's so hard. It's so, so hard. Um, because of the manipul manipulation, they can turn it back on us. And because we love our family members so much, we may actually give it to them even after they've crossed every boundary that we have set up for them to stop them. It's really hard. Um, if you're one of those people, please don't beat yourself up. We get it, we understand, it's heartbreaking. But I do wanna say, often addicts have to experience the consequences of their decisions. They have to feel, um, the, be at the end of themselves so they start to actually seek help. Um, the one thing though that is true for everybody and is universal is one thing that we do wanna say for family members is you come out of the darkness and into the light. What happens is we're drawn into that web of deceit. We're drawn into the darkness. We're ashamed, we're embarrassed, we don't want anybody to find out, and we feel unloved and unworthy because our loved one has actually chosen the addiction over us. You've got to get counseling for yourself. Even if the uh, person who's struggling won't go with you, you've got to go and get help and bring other family members with you so you can learn how to establish healthy boundaries and not enable um, bad behavior. Yeah. 
And guys, we want to encourage you. There is hope. There really is. We have seen God do tremendous works of freedom uh, in your own family, in a lot of families, and you're going to hear a story in just a second about this. I wanted to give you this, this biblical um, guidance from Ed Welch, who's been very helpful to us. He says this, as people who want to help addicts, we need something very powerful to break the hold of idols. Pleas, tears, arguments, or threats will not penetrate. Reason is useless. You cannot simply say, hey, you know, stop doing drugs, get control of yourself, stop worshiping an idol, right? It never helps to preach or moralize at people. As a result of spiritual oppression, drug worshipers may be very intelligent, but they can be oblivious to the destruction and slavery associated with drug abuse. They need the power of God, the message of Christ crucified and risen. Other therapies can offer sobriety and can help. So we're not criticizing 12-step programs. They're a wonderful source of help. But listen to this. Only the good news, the gospel, is powerful enough to liberate the soul. Amen? So guys, we want to encourage you. Freedom is possible. Um, you are sitting next to families in this church, brothers and sisters in your, your campuses, who have experienced the liberating power of Christ firsthand. We've seen God work miracles restore relationships, entire families. Um, just ask Michael Clark, who's with us today. He is a brother in Christ uh, who struggled with addictions to uh, alcohol, Oxycontin, uh, for many years. Uh, Mike was telling me, you know, at the bottom, he was a $200 a day uh, addict. And um, what God did in his life is incredible. Um, this is gonna show you the power of Christ to overcome any addiction. I want you to listen carefully to Michael's incredible story of restoration. Growing up, going into my teen years, uh, alcohol started at a very early age. Just focusing on when is going to be the next time, the next release, the next time to feel numb. I met my son's mother on a Baptist youth group, and then in the fall of 2017, we found out that she was pregnant. I was terrified of being a father. I would tell myself that he would be better off without me, and I used that as justification not to get better. Every year I would go to Rhode Island with nothing and I would quit everything cold turkey. And what I would do is I would prove that I didn't need to rely on God, that I could rely on myself. So after being there one night, I got up in the morning and the next thing I know, I drove from Rhode Island to Newark to get what I needed to get. And then I showed back up later that night in Rhode Island. I woke up the next day and I used right out in the open and by the grace of God, someone caught me with a needle in my arm. Later that day, started the journey to detox and, and rehab. But in coming back to New Jersey, I continued drinking, I continued lying, I continued being dishonest. In March of 2007, I got on my knees and I asked the Lord for help. I felt instantly a, a peace that something was being done for me that I couldn't do for myself for decades at that point. The physical cravings and obsessions for drugs and alcohol were instantly removed and have not come back to this day. In 2014, I had reached a point where I hit a true spiritual bottom something that was more soul-crushing and more difficult than my physical bottom, whether it was food, spending, money, uh, any forms of instant gratification, um, sex, affection, everything other than God that I was trying to fill the God-shaped hole with inside was no longer working. And the guilt and the shame had just compounded to the point where the only place I can turn was the cross. 
for the first time, I had the ability to take these concerns and these fears to him first and act in a different manner and finally start being the man that God's called me to be this whole time. It's truly overwhelming to think about how much he's done, how much I'm loved, especially at my worst. And that much like Christ, when he came to this world, he met everyone where they were. In 2015, the Lord put Michelle into my life. For the first time, I finally felt able to contribute to a mutual, loving, Christ-based and Christ-centered relationship. To someone who's struggling with addiction today that might be hearing this, the belief that you're not worthy of God's love, that you're not already forgiven by God, is just a lie and that I believe that we tell ourselves in order to prevent us from changing. I believe that the power of prayer, specifically from people like my mother and others in my life this whole time, when I least deserved it but most needed it, is truly one of the only reasons why with his love that I'm here even talking to you today. for Michael. That's an amazing story. He's right here. Michael, thank you so much, brother. Michelle, Lane, son Lane here. you got an awesome dad. You don't have a perfect dad. You've got a powerful dad because Christ is in him and he's redeeming that story. I, just Michael, as your pastor, I'm so proud of you, man. That was a gift to us. Thank you for just your courage and bravery. You were willing to, you know, share your weakness so that we could see the strength of Christ in that. Amen? Thank you again. We're just grateful to, to each of you. Thank you guys for sharing that. I want you to see this, guys. Freedom is possible. It is. Uh, the Bible promises, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm, then. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Guys, every single one of us gets tempted. Uh, some of us get hooked, but Christ offers everyone a way out. No matter what you are struggling with today, freedom may seem impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So, so go back to our list of top temptations. I mean, what, what's yours? I, I know it's on here on somewhere. You know, maybe, maybe it's when you go home at night and you open your laptop and, you know, come on, you know, come to bed instead. And you say, no, I got to work a little bit. And then you click on something that just has your number and you know you're poisoning your mind with porn and, and, and with your relationships, with every image, but you can't stop. You're, you're hooked, right? Maybe it's comfort food. You know, maybe at night, you know, again, everyone goes to sleep and you go to the fridge and you open it up because it's like a reunion. Like, all my friends are here, Ben and Jerry, uh, you know, Mr. DiGiorno, you know, all of it. You're hooked. Guys, temptation's natural, but overcoming it is supernatural. And that's why you must invite Christ in. You have to invite Christ in. Last point I want to end with, just say no is a failed strategy. You have to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So it's not enough for you to just say no thanks when temptation rolls around. You'll still be hungry. But you have to ask, what are you really hungry for? Because under each of these kind of surface actions, there's a deeper hunger there. You may say, you know, actually, why? yeah, I'm, I'm lonely. <laughs> I hunger for relationships, for people in my life to love me. Under the surface, each of us is hungry for something at a much deeper level of the soul. And the question is, where do you turn to satisfy that hunger? Do you turn to a dead idol or the living God? You have to feed that craving with what your soul craves the most, and that is the love and grace of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 5. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You can't just say no to temptation. You gotta say yes to God. You have to invite Christ into that moment and victory begins with surrendering to him. Go at Hebrews 2 promises. This is the last one. I just want, this is so powerful to me. It says, because Jesus himself suffered when he was on the cross. No, he suffered when he was what? Tempted. Therefore, he is able to what? Help those who are being tempted. Do you know that is one of Jesus' main passions is to help his children with their temptations? You know where, you know, do you know where Jesus is right now? I think we think he's like, well, he's on in heaven, like you know, giant worship you know, concert or something. You know what the Bible says? Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Jesus is praying for you at this moment. He's saying, I, you, you can't do this, but if you invite me, I can help you do it. Together we can do this. As a believer, I have canceled your past sins, even your present struggles, and watch this, your future sins are forgiven. So the pressure is off. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation. You're a vessel where the Holy Spirit lives and dwells. So you gotta invite Jesus into that battle moment by moment, every day, every hour, every week. You gotta say, you know what? This is silly, this is ridiculous. Samoas don't satisfy. Christ alone satisfies, amen? So here's what I wanna end with. As a symbol of really inviting the presence and power of Christ into these areas of temptation, I thought, what better way than to leave here on July 4th with real spiritual food and drink. I'm not talking about a roasted pig or a hot dogs. I'm talking about the bread and the cup of communion. I want to end with communion, but we're gonna do it different today. Instead of having communion right here in the service, we're gonna give you a communion cup to go. We want you to take this home and put this cup in the place of your greatest temptation. So ushers, come on down to all of our campuses, come on down to rows, and they're gonna pass out the popcorn buckets, and in here is a pre-prepared communion cup. It's got a little bit of grape juice in it, you'll see the cracker on the top, and if you're a Christian, you can just take one and pass it down your row. So go ahead, pass out the buckets if you would, take one and pass it down, and I don't want you to open this. Let me be clear, we're not gonna take communion right now, you're taking it with you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to put this this week in the place of your greatest weakness. You know where it is, maybe where that hook is gonna be waiting for you. Maybe it's tomorrow at work or maybe tonight, right, when you flip on the, the television. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to know you're not alone in that moment. You're gonna put that cup there as a symbol, as a reminder. Christ is with me in this moment. You'll notice it's prepackaged. So on the top is the cracker. That's the body of Christ that was broken for you. The grape juice represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out to cleanse your sins. And here's what I want you to do. Think about it right now. Where are you gonna put this thing? Maybe it's gonna be on the, on the top of your television or next to your computer. Maybe, listen to this, maybe you're gonna put this where you typically hide your stash of cookies. And this week, if you see a Girl Scout, you're gonna be like, get behind me, Satan. Right, you're gonna be kind of... <laughs> May, I don't care you keep it. Maybe you're gonna keep it inside of your refrigerator and it's a reminder that instead of reaching for Ben and Jerry, I'm gonna reach for Jesus. And listen, let it remind you. That's where Jesus wants to be in that moment, in that place of greatest temptation. When you feel that hunger start to rumble, instead of reaching for that idol, feed your soul. With real food, real drink, the body of Jesus broken for you. The blood of Jesus that gives you victory over sin and Satan and you take communion right in that moment. You're gonna take the foil off 
and you'll see you'll have the wafer there, body of Christ broken for you, and you're gonna take the rest of the foil off, and you drink that juice, and you remember that is the blood of Jesus that cleanses you from every sin. So we don't care where you keep it, your purse, your backpack, your bedroom, your night table, your desk at work. This week, let this be your secret stash, reminding you if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed, amen? Let's give God a praise, and let's pray together. Let's pray. Hold that communion cup. Father God, thank you for the gift, the broken body of your son, the blood of Jesus that was poured out for my sin and my weakness and where we are weak and vulnerable. You are strong and victorious. And so Jesus, we invite you into this moment. Lord, I thank you and I pray a blessing on my brother, Michael Clark, and his family, God. I thank you so much for the victory that you are working in his life, Father, and I pray for him and those, everybody who is struggling to walk, Lord, in sobriety right now. Pour out your Holy Spirit on them, God. Give them a strength that is supernatural, that is power beyond their own, to know they are loved and they are forgiven and they can walk in freedom moment by moment as we take your hand. And God, I pray for families right now who are struggling. Many of us have loved ones who are in the throes of addiction. Father, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and discernment, that you, your Holy Spirit, would teach us where to open our arms and embrace and love, and where to draw boundaries and let there be consequences. You're their Father, Lord. We want to follow you, and we want to do well to love them in the name of Jesus. So help us, Father God. I pray and thank you for this communion gift. This week, may you remind us we are not alone. You are right next to us. You are inside us. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen.